And uh, if you're not familiar with that, it, uh, that's one of those books you don't turn to real often. And it's towards the back of the Old Testament. Zephaniah, Haggai, Zechariah, and then Malachi. And then starts Matthew, Mark. So if you find Matthew, just go back a few books and uh, you should be there. All right? Haggai chapter number 1. We'll give folks just a moment to find their places. And I uh, appreciate all of you being here this morning. Good crowd for a Sunday morning, especially with the weather snap that we had and the cooler air. And uh, glad to see everybody out. Haggai chapter number 1. We'll begin reading in verse number 1, if you will follow along with us. In the second year of Darius the king, in the sixth month, in the first day of the month, came the word of the Lord by Haggai the prophet unto Zerubbabel the son of Shealtiel, governor of Judah, and to Joshua, the son of Josedek, the high priest, saying, Thus speaketh the Lord of hosts, saying, This people say the time is not come, the time that the Lord's house should be built. Then came the word of the Lord by Haggai the prophet, saying, Is it time for you, O ye, to dwell in your sealed houses, and this house lie ways? Now therefore, thus saith the Lord of hosts, Consider your ways. Ye have sown much, and bring in little. Ye eat, but ye have not enough. Ye drink, but ye are not filled with drink. He clothe you, but there is none warm, and he that earneth wages, earneth wages to put it into a bag with holes. Thus saith the Lord of hosts, consider your ways. Go up to the mountain, and bring wood, and build the house, and I will take pleasure in it. And I will be glorified, saith the Lord. He looked for much, and lo, it came to little, and when ye brought it home, I did blow upon it. Why, saith the Lord of hosts, because of mine house that is waste, and ye run every man unto his own house. Therefore the heaven over you is stayed from dew, and the earth is stayed from her fruit. And I called for a drought upon the land, and upon the mountains, and upon the corn, and upon the new wine, and upon the oil, and upon that which the ground bringeth forth, upon, and upon men, and upon the cattle, and upon all the labor of their hands. Then Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, the, and Joshua, the son of Josedek, the high priest, with all the remnant of the people, obeyed the voice of the Lord their God, and the words of Haggai the prophet, as the Lord their God had sent him, and the people did fear before the Lord. Then spake Haggai the Lord's messenger in the Lord's message unto the people, saying, I am with you, saith the Lord. And the Lord stirred up the spirit of Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, governor of Judah, and the spirit of Joshua, the son of Josedek, the high priest, and the spirit of all the remnant of the people. And they came and did the work in the house of the Lord of hosts, their God. Father, we pray that you'll bless the message this morning, and Lord, use it to draw our hearts closer to you. I pray that you would help us to see the truth from this passage that will be a help and an instrument to guide us and to direct us in our own lives. And Father, that we would love you with all of our hearts, with all of our souls, and with all of our minds. And Father, that we would give you the preeminence in our life that you would have first place. And Father, we pray that you'll bless the remainder of the time that we have here together this morning that your Holy Spirit will empower and direct and guide us in the preaching and in the listening of your word, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. The nation of Israel had built a beautiful temple under the direction of Solomon. And years later, because of their idolatry and being brought under judgment of God's hand, Nebuchadnezzar and some of the folks from the Babylonian captivity came in and destroyed uh, the temple, and it lay in ruins for many, many years. And under the uh, direction of Nehemiah, who we spent some time uh, teaching on Nehemiah uh, several months back, 
and what a joy it is to look at Nehemiah's life. Nehemiah, to me, is, is an interesting character, but it brings hope to my heart uh, because Nehemiah was not what you would call an extraordinary man. He, he did not have um, uh, some kind of high position as far as being a priest or um, a prophet or anything of that nature. He was just an ordinary man that was willing to be used by his extraordinary God. And God was able to do some amazing things through the life of Nehemiah. Nehemiah hears of the walls of Jerusalem being uh, still in disarray. They tried one time to build them up and had gotten very near to completion. And some of the enemies of Israel found out about it and came and redestroyed the walls again. And just seemed like they could not get a handle on uh, restoring the city of Jerusalem, much less the temple. And so Nehemiah comes in, if you remember the story, and he uh, in just a record number of days, sees the wall of Jerusalem built, and all of the people came together. Around the same time was another man by the name of Ezra, and we have, of course, the book of Ezra in our Bibles, and we can understand that, but he was a contemporary with Nehemiah. And while Nehemiah was dealing with the physical aspects of rebuilding the city, uh, Ezra's job was to be the, the prophet or the priest, if you're the uh, preacher, if you will, during that time. And he uh, takes the word of God and he opens the law and he begins to read it to the people. And the Bible says that there was a great revival that took place and the nation of Israel uh, came back to God and got on fire for him and began to do all of these things. And they laid the foundation of the temple and everything seemed to be going very well. The walls of the city were rebuilt. Uh, progress was being made on the temple. Great revival was happening in uh, the nation of Israel. And then for whatever reason, all of a sudden, everything kind of came to a halt. And that's just kind of where it stopped for about, uh, as best we can tell, about 16 years. The, uh, the foundation of the temple was laying there, ready to be restored, and yet was not restored. We get to the time of Haggai, and God uh, sends word by way of Haggai to the people of Israel. And he tells them two different times, as we find in the verse, first part of this uh, book of Haggai, two different times he tells Haggai to ask the people, or to tell the people, Thus saith the Lord of hosts, consider your ways. Consider your ways. We're going to talk about that this morning for just a few moments because I want us to understand there's a valid truth of Scripture found in this passage that is applicable and it's certainly, you know, people talk uh, today about the Bible uh, still being relevant in the day that we live. And can I tell you this, that what we'll find in this passage of Scripture is so relevant to the Christian life and to our our, uh, day-by-day walk with God that I believe it's very important that we learn this truth. Because there's no doubt that in the great revival that took place in the nation of Israel during the time of Ezra, there was a great excitement and zeal for the house of God and a love for God that had not been there for some time. And yet we find that even in the great time of revival, in the time that you could call it a mountaintop experience, even in those times it is possible that our desire for the things of God can wane cold and can begin to drift, and we find the nation of Israel enters into this time. And I want us to look at what would cause such a drastic change from the spirit of revival to a spirit of coldness and not thinking about the things of the Lord. Let's look at Scripture and see what the Bible says here. The Bible says in verse number 4, as Haggai the prophet is speaking here, he says, Is it time for you, O ye, to dwell in your sealed houses 
and this house, referring to the temple, this house lie waste. Now therefore, thus saith the Lord of hosts, consider your ways. Now notice he doesn't say, I want you to consider my house. God was more more concerned about the condition of the hearts of the nation of Israel than he was about his own house at this point. He knew that if the people's hearts were right, everything else would fall into place. And there's there's no doubt that in times of... of, uh, being drawn close to the Lord in times of what we would call uh, periods of revival in our life or periods of the mountaintop, that there's no doubt that there's a, uh, a desire, not a desire, but there's an aptitude of people many times to begin to take ease in the fact that, hey, we're on the mountaintop. We're closer to God than we've ever been. And it almost seems like time after time after time, we begin to let our guard down, don't we? We, we don't seem to pursue after God as hard as we did when we were in the valley and felt far away from Him. We, we begin to, to let some things slip, and we begin to allow some things that we used to hold very dear to us, uh, very special in our hearts. All of a sudden, we begin to allow those things to slip. Years ago, there was a fellow in our church that uh, had been away from the Lord. He had been in our church as a young man and had gotten away from the Lord for several years, quite a few years, in fact, and Finally, God got a hold of his heart and his life, and he came back to our church. And I remember he sang in my choir, and still picture him to this day. I remember going back as uh, he came to choir practice one night. He was there a little bit early, and I went back to greet him and shake hands with him. And we began to talk a little bit. And he said, boy, I tell you, he said, I, I really got away from the Lord. He said, man, I, I didn't know what I was missing all those years I was away from the Lord. He said, but now I'm back. And this was the phrase he said, you don't have to worry about me again. And it wasn't but about two months later that man left our church and never set foot back inside of it again. And as far as I know, doesn't go to church to this day. The Bible says it this way. In the time that we think we're standing, I can't, I can't quote exactly where for it, but it says that the time we're at the point where we think we stand, the Bible says, take heed lest you fall. Even the Apostle Paul said, I have to be on guard or else I'll find myself a castaway. I'll find myself a shipwrecked. And I'll find myself with my own life destroyed. And can I challenge you this morning that I think our church is a great church. And I love our people. And I think that God's doing some things in the hearts of some of our folks. And it's exciting to see God blessing and doing some things. But can I give a, just a word of caution in this. That at the times that we begin to think that we stand, we need to be very, very careful that we take heed. Lest we fall. We begin, to, we begin to stop taking those things that used to be so important to us to hold to and, and to say, I'm not going to deviate. I'm going to be steadfast. And we begin to let them slip a little bit until all of a sudden we find ourselves going 16 years with the revival growing cold in our hearts and the foundation of the temple was there, but nothing was done on it. We find here as we get to verse number 4, we find the first reason why uh, the people of uh, Israel were departing from this spirit of revival. The Bible says in verse number 4, Is it time for you, O ye, to dwell in your sealed houses, and this house lie waste? The first thing we find is materialism materialism began to, to creep in. They began to look at the prosperity of their city. The walls were now built. There was protection. And instead of focusing on the house of God for their first priority, 
they began to put the things that they wanted as their first priority. And by the way, it's the same old tactic Satan uses all the time in a Christian's life. We, we begin to become materialistic. We begin to come, become self-centered if we're not careful and want the things that we want. Now, the day and age that we live, we, we know that the, the temple is not, that was an Old Testament thing, but where's the temple today? What does the Bible say the temple is today? All right, somebody help us? Okay, our, our bodies, right? What, know you not that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost, which is in you, which you have of God, and you're not your own? You are bought with a price. And so we know today that the temple that, that God uses, where he resides, is, is us, in our own bodies. And yet there's still the same parallels that can be drawn here in that we can have an intention for our walk with God and our, our building up of his temple in our bodies and in our lives, or we can set a God aside and say, no, I want my will to be done in my life. I, I want to have these things, and I want this, and I want that, and I want this, and I want that. I was talking to a young man recently, and he said, I've got a list of things. And he said, when I go down this list of things, these are all the things that I want. And he gives four, or five, six things on the list. And the question was asked after he got through with the list, then what? Once you get all of those six things, then what? And the answer to that was, there'll be another list of things that I want. And then you ask the question again, and then what? Well, then there'll be another. And there's never satisfaction of the flesh nature, is there? There's always something that is drawing and appealing and trying to get us away from things. And we have to make a choice every single day of our lives. I'm either going to seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness and allow all these other things to take care of themselves, or I'm going to seek after all these things and let the kingdom of God and His righteousness take a back seat. And the nation of Israel found themselves in this position. And God tells Haggai, he says, I want you to go to the people. He says, I want you to tell them one statement from me. Consider your ways. Consider your ways. It would do Christians a lot of good if on a fairly regular basis we would set aside some time to get along with God and say, Lord... Help me to consider my ways. What is it that's important in my life? And then, Lord, show me what ought to be important in my life. These people were running to their own houses, the Bible says. They were worried about having houses that had ceilings. And now, understanding in the day that they lived, having a house with a ceiling in it was a sign of affluence. It was a sign of uh, houses just didn't have ceilings in them. Uh, they didn't have a finished ceiling on the inside of them. They were ornating their houses. They were making them and, and building them up into things that were beyond just the basic needs of lodging and shelter. And these folks were so enamored with trying to build up their houses and the things that they had and the materialism. And God speaks about that a little bit later in the chapter. We're going to look at that very clearly. So I want to ask this question, and we're going to give the answer from God's Word this morning. When this happens in our life, because it will. What do we do about it? When our will becomes such that we are no longer seeking for God's will in our life, what do we do about it? We'll find ourselves there. If we go around the room this morning, I think most of us would be honest with ourselves. We'd have to raise our hand and say, I've been there. Probably more than once. I pushed God off to the side and said, I want my will. You say, Brother Greg, I'm a Christian. I've been in church. I'm not saying that. I'm saying there's times we've pushed God aside, isn't there? And we say, I want my way. 
What do we do when that happens? Well, let's find the answer from God's Word. That's the best place to find it, isn't it? Amen? All right, let's see what he says. First of all, he starts off by saying in verse number 5, Now, therefore, thus saith the Lord of hosts, consider your ways. First thing you've got to do is you've got to stop and take a little bit of looking around and say, Lord, I want to see if there's something wrong with this picture. I want to make sure that my life is what it ought to be for you. And it ought to do us well to do this on a regular basis. Because the heart, the Bible says, is deceitful above all things. There's not anything in this world more deceitful than a heart. The whole word of the idea of being deceitful is meaning that it's trying to portray itself as something that it's not. The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? And yet Christ said, or God said in the Psalms, He said, I am He which searcheth and trieth the reins of the heart. No wonder the psalmist could come to Him and say, Search my heart, O God. See if there be any wicked way in me, God. I want you to look at me because I can't even understand my own heart. And it does us well from time to time to stop and to consider our ways. As we go on down, he says this. He says, you have so much and you bring in little. I want you to notice the results of living a life that seeks after our own gain and puts God on the back burner. Look what it says here. You sow much and you bring in little. You ever been there? You work and you work and you work and it seems like you just never quite have enough. Look what he says. You eat, but you have not enough. You drink, but you are not filled with drink. You clothe you, and there's none warm. And he that earneth wages, earneth wages to put into a bag with holes. This whole verse is dealing with the fact that there is discontentment there. Why is it a surprise to us that when we get out of God's will, we become discontent? When we know that the Bible teaches that. We, we know that as Christians, don't we? That when we get out of seeking for what God wants in our life and begin seeking after what we want in our life, it will always, 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 always lead to discontentment. We will never, never, never have enough. But look what it says here. Thus saith the Lord of hosts the second time, verse number 7. Consider your ways. Now here's what he says to do. Go up to the mountain and bring wood. And what does it say here? What does it say? Build a house. Stay with me here. Build the house. Where's the, where's the temple of God now? Where is it? Right here. Our walk with God must be the primary thing in the Christian life. It must have the preeminence. It must have the, the important time, the important part of our schedule, the important part of our resources, the important part of our talents. All of that must come into play when it comes to the temple of the Holy Spirit. Say, Brother Greg, how should I live my life? You should live your life as if it's the temple of the Holy Ghost, because it is. And so we come and we begin to work on His house first. That's the heart. Our house can take care of itself later on. But we must make sure His house has first place. So we go to the mountain and we bring the wood and we build the house. And look what the Bible says here. And I, speaking of God, I will take pleasure in it. And I will be, what's the next word here? Glorified, saith the Lord. What's our purpose here on earth? Our number one purpose on earth. Why are we here? To glorify God. How do we do it? We work on the temple. First. 
Sometimes it's going to take considering our ways because the truth of the matter is we, our hearts are so deceitful we're blinded to our own fact that we've drifted from God, aren't we? There have been times that I've been serving God. I've been faithful, as faithful as I could be to doing the things that God wanted me to do. I was doing a lot of outward actions and a lot of outward work. And I've stopped all of a sudden because I realized the inside had been cold for quite some time. Can I tell you this? Spirituality is not what we do outwardly. But it's the time we spend on our faces before God walking with Him. Our relationship to Him. Now when our relationship with Him is right, the outside will take care of itself. But can I tell you this? Just because you go out here and you knock on a bunch of doors and just because you hand out a bunch of tracts does not mean that you're a spiritual person. The inside's got to be right. Some of us need to go up to a mountain and bring wood and build his house. To spend time with him in his word and in prayer and in meditation. He says that he will be glorified. Verse number 8, verse number 9, he says, You looked for much, and lo, it came to little. When you brought it home, I did blow upon it. Kind of like the chaff, just being blown away. Why? saith the Lord of hosts, because of mine house that is waste, and you run every man to unto his own house. That's having my will, not his. Therefore the heaven over you is stayed from dew, and the earth is stayed from her fruit. I called for a drought upon the land, upon the mountains, and upon the corn, upon the new wine, and upon the oil, and upon that which the ground bringeth forth, and upon men, and upon cattle, and upon all the labor of the hands. We begin to seek after our own will. We see the results of it, don't we? God takes His hand of blessing off of us. He no longer prospers our life. So what do we do when we find ourselves in this place? We go up to the mountain, and we bring wood. We begin to work on His house. Look what it says here as we get to verse number 12. I love this. Then Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, and Joshua, the son of Josedek, the high priest, with all the remnant of the people, watch this, obeyed the voice of the Lord their God. Boy, what a mouthful. Not only did the ruler and the high priest, but it says all of the people, they all come together and they obeyed the voice of of the Lord, their God. Well, I'll tell you, one of the great things you and I can begin to do to get out of this place where we've been, maybe we've fallen away, maybe we've, maybe we've gotten to a place where we've run to our own houses and we've let God's house lie waste for a while. And even in the midst of what we thought was revival, that coldness begins to dwell in our hearts and we begin to see that, boy, I, I just don't get out of my devotions what I used to. I just don't seem like God is as close to me as He used to be. Well, we go up to the mountain, we bring wood. Secondly, we're to obey God's word. Isn't that what he says? Look what it says there, verse number 12. Then Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, and Joshua, the son of Josedek, the high priest, with all the remnant of the people, obeyed the voice of the Lord their God. We are obedient to his word. We are obedient to his word. Thirdly, 
we give God His rightful place. We give God His rightful place. Look with me, verse number 12. It says that Zerubbabel and Joshua and the remnant of the people obeyed the voice of the, what's the word here? Lord, their God. They gave him his rightful place. They said, Lord, you are my Lord. Not just the Lord of Israel. You're my Lord. You are the Lord of my life. I give you the rightful place in my life. I was visiting some dear friends of mine uh, Thursday, or I'm sorry, Friday morning. Friday morning. Went over to have breakfast with them in Hickson, Tennessee. And their parents, uh, house parents, for a, a girl's home there for unwed mothers. And uh, the fellow was a, a deacon at the church down in Florida, a very close dear friend of mine. And uh, we were, they were giving us a tour of the facility. What a beautiful place they had in the facility there. And we walked through the living area, and they had a television screen set up, sitting up there, and they had a, a plaque that was at the bottom of the television screen. And the plaque said this, Would you invite Jesus to watch this program? Man, I thought we ought to get those plaques and hand them out at church. Why? Because we want God to be the Lord and to have absolute reign in every aspect of our lives. Well, to put Him on the plaque of our car, would we invite the Lord Jesus to go to this place that I'm going to? Well, to put Him on our calendars, would we invite the Lord to go to this event in our life? Why? Because He's preeminent. He's to have His rightful place. What do we do when we find ourselves in this place, Brother Greg? What do we do when, when we're at the point where we've, we've drifted, that revival spirit is no longer on fire and burning in our hearts? What do we do? We go to the mountain. We begin to work on the house of God. We obey His Word. We give Him His rightful place. Look what the Bible says here. The Bible says in verse number uh, 12, as we get on down there, they obeyed the voice of the Lord their God and the words of Haggai the prophet as the Lord their God had sent him. Notice this. And the people did fear before the Lord. We've lost that, haven't we? The day and age that we live, we have lost a fear of a holy God. You say, Brother Greg, does that mean I'm to be scared of him? I believe there's a little bit of fear in that, I believe. But most importantly, we need to reverence Him. When He has His rightful place, I've learned this. When He stands holy before us, we tremble in His presence, don't we? I'm thankful He's my Father. And I'm thankful He's adopted me in His family. I'm thankful my sins are forgiven. But He is still a holy God. And I am not worthy to stand before Him. And boy, we ought to get to a place where we have a fear and a reverence for God again. Well, we've lost that word, haven't we? A reverence for God. You hear men talk sometimes and they say, boy, the good old man upstairs or that good old boy. Boy, I'm telling you what, he's not that. He is a holy and a just God. 
He is the King of all kings and the Lord of all lords. And by the way, He has absolute right to have rule and authority in every area of my life. If He ever calls my name, before He ever even tells me what He wants, I better say, yes, sir. Because He's my God. And He has every right to that. There needs to be a fear of God. There needs to be a reverence for Him. You look at the day we live and how much we have caused irreverence to happen. Let me help you with that and I'll I'll try to illustrate this. By show of hands, how many of you remember a time when you could not find a store open on a Sunday? Okay, thank you. You can put them down. What happened? What happened? You say, Brother Greg, I'm still separated from the world, but we've sure moved a long way, haven't we? Haven't we? We've not given God His rightful place. We've lost the reverence and the fear. It used to be when we came into the house of God, and even though it was just a building and just bricks and mortar, and we understand that God's temple is our bodies, and we understand that, but it used to be when you walked into a sanctuary of the house of God, there was a respect and a reverence for there. I don't mean to be on a soapbox issue here, but I, there was a day when I was a kid, if I walked in the uh, church auditorium and I had a hat on my head, my dad would knock it off, and then later on I'd get a whipping at home. You say, Brother Greg, why? It wasn't the drywall and the pews and the carpet and the platform and the pulpit, but it was what went on inside that place that demanded reverence. Now we bring rock groups and put them on the stage with smoke and lasers and lights. And we call it worship. We've lost a reverence for Him, haven't we? What do we do when we find ourselves in this place? We begin to fear God again. We come to Him and if we've lost our reverence, we get down and we say, Lord, I want to have a fear and a righteous reverence for You again. The Bible says in verse number fourteen, or verse number thirteen, then spake Haggai the Lord's messenger, and I love that he was the Lord's messenger, not his own words. He was speaking what God gave him. In the Lord's message, he wasn't speaking his own message. He was speaking what God had given him unto the people, saying, "I am with you," saith the Lord. He said, "Brother Greg, it's going to be hard for me to go to the mountains and bring the wood and build the temple." It's going to be hard for me to be obedient to God's Word. It's going to be hard for me to give Him His rightful place. It's going to be hard for me to have reverence for Him and a fear for Him once again. How in the world am I going to do it? (laughs) Not only does He tell us to do these things, but He comes and He says, I'm going to help you do it. I'll be with you. You won't have to do it on your own, Greg. I'm right there with you. I'll help you along the way. I'll encourage you in these things if you let me. The Bible says in verse number 14, and I want you to see this, And the Lord stirred up the spirit of Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, governor of Judah, the spirit of Joshua, the son of Josedek, the high priest, and the spirit of all the remnant of the people. They came and did the work in the house of the Lord, their host, their God. 
I want you to notice this at the beginning of verse number number 14. The Bible says, And the Lord stirred up their hearts. I'm so tired of preachers and praise teams getting up and trying to do God's work. It's not our job to stir the hearts. It's His. It's not our heart, our job to get up here and try to work people into some kind of an excitement for God. Although we can certainly talk about God, and I don't know how we cannot get excited about it, but can I tell you this? He's got to be the one to stir the heart. I'll tell you this, if a man stirs your heart, it'll last till we walk out of those doors and get in our cars. But when God stirs a heart, it's something that transforms us from the inside out. What do we do? What do we do when we get to this place where we, we've experienced great victory, great mountaintops in our life, but we find ourselves at that place where we've gone a long time and it's grown cold? What do we do? We start with considering our ways. And then we begin to do the things that God's listed in this passage of Scripture. We work on our walk with Him. We become obedient to His Word. We give Him His rightful place. We begin to fear Him, reverence Him once again. And boy, I'll tell you what, we begin doing those things, and then we watch what God will do in our lives. And He's promised He'll stir us up. He will bring us back to where we wanted to be to begin with. I want to ask you a question. I don't want you to raise your hand, but I want to ask you a question. I want you to ask yourself this question. Has there been in your life a time that you can remember that you were more on fire and sold out and excited about the things of God than you are today sitting here? And if you have to answer yes to that, if you're honest and you say, yes, I have to answer yes to that, can I encourage you to follow the things that we've read here this morning that will bring us back to the place that will get us back on track of loving God with all of our heart, with all of our soul, with all of our mind. Let God stir us up afresh and anew. Wouldn't it be wonderful if we'd come back at 6 o'clock tonight and people be standing here saying, Boy, God stirred me this afternoon. He stirred me up. Boy, there's some things that have been lacking in my life, and boy, He sure set them on fire again. Wouldn't it be wonderful if next Sunday we could come in here and somebody come in and say, Boy, God stirred me up this week. He sure did a work in my heart. What do we do when we find ourselves like the nation of Israel did? What do we do? Well, we follow what God's Word says. Amen? Let's stand together with heads bowed. If you're here this morning and you've never trusted Christ as your Savior, can I tell you this morning God loves you with all of His heart. He loved you so much that even when you were still a sinner, He looked down through history and through the future and saw you and decided He was going to give His life in your place. He was going to pay your sin debt on Calvary. And he came and died on the cross, was buried and rose again, proving that he was God. 
that he had every right to pay your sin debt for you. He offers it as a free gift to you. He doesn't make you work for it. He doesn't try to make it hard. He just simply says that you just got to put your trust and faith in this thing. You've got to trust me for it. It's all he asks. You say, Brother Greg, it can't be that simple. It is. It's that simple. If you're here this morning, you've never trusted Christ as your Savior. I would strongly encourage you. Folks, we don't have the promise of another day. Are you saved this morning? And you know for sure if you died right now that you'd go to heaven. If not, I would encourage you the invitation to come forward and let us show you from God's Word how you can be saved this morning. Christians that are here today, what do we do when we find ourselves here? We look back in our life and we realize there's been times we've been closer to God than we are now. Times that were just a thrill to our hearts. But we've lost it somewhere along the way. What do we do? What do we do? Well, we follow what God's Word teaches. Maybe some Christians this morning need to come and rededicate their lives and say, Lord, I've lost that excitement, that joy of the life that I once lived. I've lost that great love for you. I sure want to get it back. Father, we are thankful for your word. We pray that your Holy Spirit will do his work in our hearts and our lives. Have your will and way in the invitation, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Heads bow, please, and eyes closed. We'll have the piano and organist play through the hymn of invitation. If God has spoken to your hearts, would you come this morning?